This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Gary May, Vice President of Managed Care at Stanford Healthcare. Gary, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Great to be here. Now, before we dive into our questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, I've, I've been in healthcare for um, about 40 years, starting my career uh, with a multi-specialty physician group in Southern California. From there, I joined a hospital system in 1984 uh, in a business development role, moved to a uh, freestanding not-for-profit hospital uh, a few few miles away a few years later, Um, spent seven years in, uh, uh, seven more years in Southern California until I was relocating to the um, Franciscan Health System of the Ohio Valley, which is based in Cincinnati. I became the regional vice president of managed care and was with them until I joined Stanford in uh, 2000. Wow. So since you've been at Stanford, how have you seen things change? Oh, it's been rapid change. And um, and it's really been interesting and exciting. And at the same time, a little bit uh, anxiety causing when you think about the changes that are going down and there, um, there's so many it's not in a coordinated way, which makes me a little bit concerned in terms of not just Stanford's uh, long-term um, um, opportunities, but also just the healthcare industries, because there are so many um, arrows pointed our way that um, I'm concerned that there will be um, a lot more distress added to the system um, um, as we move forward. Got it. So I know there's a lot going on in the industry right now. And what are the top one or two issues that are consuming most of your time today, given the challenging times that we're going through in the healthcare industry? Okay. Well, we have some short-term things that we're dealing with, and it's usually around contract negotiations with major health plans that uh, um, Stanford contracts with. So in our market, the top four health plans include Anthem Blue Cross, Blue Shield of California, United Healthcare and Aetna, which is now known as CVS Aetna. So in our preparation for a contract, we do a great deal of work around market research, internal and external data resource uh, reviews, such as how a contract is performing, uh, whether or not a payer has a particular size and piece of the market share. Uh, we wanna understand everything about them as it relates to how they work with us and of course, and how they're working with the market. Another challenge for us, and this one uh, gives me great concern, is around um, uh, payer policy notices. And what I mean by that is that we get on a monthly basis a um, a, a, a policy bulletin from the health plans that uh, can be quite detailed and long, where they will go through and they will change the protocols or um, approaches to how we bill and collect for certain procedures and services. Where that impacts us a couple ways. Number one, some of these do have impact on what we've negotiated uh, in our contracts. The second one is around the operational and administrative pieces. And some of this is very, very complicated. So I was just reviewing a um, payer notice we got last week, and it was one of our bigger payers. And um, we got 15 updates from them. And in these updates, they described the changes that they are, that they were implementing specific to certain um, um, CPT codes and uh, procedures to how we bill for certain things, 
it was it was quite detailed, and I decided to just click through and see what kind of uh, um, uh, challenges were in there. And just going and getting into one of their um, policy changes, it took me three clicks to find out how we were supposed to handle the authorizations, the billing, uh, the coding, and collections for this one procedure. And there were about 30 different ones in this particular month's submission for us to have to review. So it really is becoming more complicated, and we're concerned that the payers are going to begin using this even more to change the construct and the um, performance of our agreements. We've got two or three people that they spend most of their time just looking through these policy bulletins to make sure that we're doing things according to the changes. And I have a feeling that it's just going to get worse rather than having it be more simplified and something that doesn't add additional work for providers to be able to understand how health plans are um, changing the um, the rules, if you will, and the performance of our agreement with them. That sounds really challenging, especially in thinking about everything else the health systems and providers are dealing with today in terms of caring for patients and trying to make sure they've got the health system running effectively. I'm wondering, from your perspective, what changes do you anticipate managed care and payer strategies um, will happen over the next 12 to 24 months or so? I think the first one is around price pressure, and I understand the concerns uh, around the costs associated with delivering healthcare. So there's going to be price pressure on both payers and providers um, um, as time moves on and even more intense, I think, than, we'll, than we're seeing even today. One of the things that's, that is very prominent now, of course, is around the uh, No Surprises Act that providers need to provide their potential patient with a general estimate of what it's going to cost for the procedure that they want to come into the uh, hospital. I agree with the approach of the um, of, of that because nobody buys anything today, with the exception of healthcare, not knowing what the price is going to be. But the complexity of it can really cause some concerns uh, for um, not just the providers as they're trying to live up to what they had told the um, um, the individual patient when they called, but also you, uh, as a procedure is performed, there can be other things that can get added on. And obviously, if a patient's in the emergency or excuse me, in the operating room and getting care and said, I came in for this and the physician as he's doing the procedure discovers something else, it's not like they're going to wake them up and say, hey, do you mind if we do this too? And this is what it will cost. I mean, you have to do the procedure. So there's, it's not a simple um, solution when you are especially dealing with more complex patients. It's not a simple solution to be able to um, quote someone and be absolutely certain that that's what uh, the procedure will be because things get discovered and obviously the provider is going to do the right thing at the time and at some point the pricing may be something that has to happen post um, the procedure being done. So I think there's going to be some learning as we move forward on that. Um, the other thing is around the um, ability for people who are purchasing insurance. Can we stop I'm going, to, I'm going to add just to stop that last sentence and then I'll start over with that. Sure. Um, Sounds good. Okay. All right. The other thing that's a concern for me is around what we're seeing and um, uh, by payers where I'll use the term fragmenting the healthcare system. So where Stanford and many other organizations have been incentivized and um, um, pressured to create a more seamless environment to 
be able to provide patient care at a single site so patients don't have to go from spot point to point to point in order to be able to receive their care. We're starting to see where the health plans are getting much more aggressive at trying to carve out and create these sub-networks of clinical care. So for instance, imaging services, MRIs, CTs, where a provider has the equipment and the technology to be able to provide the service right on their campus, but the health plan has carved that coverage out and has said, you need to go to the the imaging center that we've negotiated a a contract with that's eight miles away because we think that you'll get um, um, just as good a care at at that facility as you will with your provider. That may be true in some instances, but what we have discovered over the years is that a lot of the equipment, and I'm just going to make up a hypothetical um, um, situation, MRI equipment. Stanford upgrades their MRI equipment every two to three years, so we keep the cutting edge of the technology on our campus. We know within a 15-mile radius of Stanford, there are a number of independent centers that their technology can be 5, 10, 15 years old. And it's not going to perform um, as as sharply an image as the um, Stanford equipment. That's a big deal, especially when you're diagnosing people who have certain kinds of cancers and other kind of um, um, disease states that you want to make sure that you're giving the best and getting the best image for the MRI or the CT or whatever happens to have been ordered. But when once the patient gets moved away and has to go to another center, we lose that control and we don't know and have any assurances that the technology that the patient is being um, uh, is receiving. We have no way of knowing whether or not the quality is the same as it is at Stanford. And that's a huge concern. And you can extend that to other services as well, laboratory um, um, medications, things like that. I mean, we just really feel much more uh, confident and and much less at risk when all of the services are being provided through our system because we have the quality controls in place to make sure that the patients are getting the absolute best. That's really great to hear. And it's just interesting to think about how the whole system is changing and the ecosystem is shifting, especially given what patients are, are really wanting and demanding from care. I'm wondering, from your position and looking at some of the managed care contracts and, and what really um, is affecting the health system today, how do you see um, some of those different aspects, I guess, especially thinking about the fragmentation of healthcare, you know, playing out? Um, do you ever see things coming back together? Or what do you really need in order to um, making make the experience for patients um, more optimal, I guess? Well, again, I think we're in a struggle right now with the health plans who are trying to do their thing with their side of the healthcare business um, and feel that it's best for them to go out and um, um, spot price services that um, may be at the, um, you know, at the end, a, a bit lower cost than what it would be at a hospital, um, which has to open, has to operate 24 hours, seven days a week, unlike these these independent centers. But um, we're seeing a lot of that, and we're really you know um, fighting hard on behalf of our patients to make sure that when they come to Stanford, they're getting the care um, and all of the provided services necessary. Um, 
at our standard. And so that that battle is going to continue. I know it's happening nationally. Uh, we're not the only ones that are involved in that fight. And I'm, again, just hopeful that the right outcome will, will happen where the um, uh, patients, when they go into the system, will feel that they're not being um, um, shopped around and having to accept a lower quality of care in order to get the um, diagnosis and treatment that they're that they're hoping to uh, receive. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we wrap up our conversation, what are you most excited about right now, and what makes you nervous? Well, I I just referenced you know the changes, and I think some of the changes that are coming, mostly on the business side, are positive. Um, the No Surprises Act, hospital pricing transparency. Um, I mean, I I think that it's really going to push the industry in the right direction to become um, uh, a little bit less um, parochial or protective of certain things, such as pricing. Um, I've always been a proponent of being able to um, uh, help people understand what the cost of care uh, at Stanford and the other organizations I've worked at, what the cost of care is going to be. Uh, But I talked about the complexity and how challenging that can be. But I think now we're really going to be forced to um, 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 sharpen our pencils, if you will. And I think that's a really good thing for the industry. But um, some of the changes that are happening, and I'll, I'll just focus on the um, couple of the, the more recent legislative events, such as the No Surprises Act, such as the hospital pricing transparency. I'm concerned that commercial payers will somehow be- begin to manipulate these changes in an unexpected way that puts the funding of the healthcare world at risk. Um, I mean, uh, I talked about how they're fracturing the delivery system today and taking clinical services away from uh, providers and hospitals and um, sub creating sub networks that really we don't have any ability to judge quality because we're not part of those systems. So um, you know, I think that 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 change makes me quite nervous um, because if that continues, um, you may see a reduction, um, a slow reduction in overall price going into healthcare. But I think you're also going to see a commensurate. Um, and maybe even accelerating decrease in the quality of care that's being provided. Um, so those are my concerns. I'm, uh, I, I think there's great opportunity uh, going forward, and um, I've had a great career in uh, experiencing a lot of those. And I think at the end of the day, the healthcare system is always uh, won out, and we've always been able to protect the best interests of our patients. I think we'll end up there today, but it's not going to be without a fight. Excellent. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Please do. I look forward to it as well. Thank you for the opportunity.